high crimes and misdemeanors, setting your DVR to the impeachment show. Plus, mission readiness, Navy and the Commander-in-Chief, also Charles Barkley. All this and more on this week's Three Season a Pod. Three Season a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show are Chris Cervello and John Schofield. We thank you for coming on board with us. For more of the Provision Conversation, follow us on Twitter and give us your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. As always, we look forward to hearing from you. Let's begin our conversation with our rear view segment. Chris, over to you. What did you see in the rearview mirror? Bash, I have two things. First off, uh, very quickly, um, I wanted to recognize the 10-year anniversary of mission readiness. Uh, this is a group of retired flag and general officers who volunteer their time and energy to work with lawmakers at the federal and state level as a way of highlighting um, the fact and the causes um, that 71% currently of today's youth are unable to meet the criteria set to serve in our military. And okay. uh, the, the reasons that they put forward are medical reasons, uh, health, there are uh, moral reasons, you know, they've run amok of the law, um, or there are physical reasons that um, they just, you know, can't meet the physical standards uh, to get into the military. So uh, for the last 10 years, they've been focused on one, identifying the barriers to uh, those three uh, issues, the, you know, the moral, mental, and physical barriers to service and then working at the state and federal level to find ways to address those barriers. And so this is a, a group that I think deserves uh, recognition. Uh, they celebrated their 10-year anniversary on the 19th this week in D.C. Wanted to give them a, a shout out and wanted to recognize their 10-year anniversary. The second thing that grabbed my attention was the sale of New Belgium Brewery in, uh, out of Colorado. Okay. Uh, they make the they make the popular fat tire uh, beer that um, became very popular over the last five or six years here on the uh, East Coast. Um, they sold to Australian Lion Little World Beverages, which is owned by Kieran Holdings out of Japan. Mm -hmm. And why this caught my attention is is this is the latest successful craft or microbrewery. I mean, although New Belgium had grown well beyond where they started, but it's the latest brewery to kind of sell out to one of these uh, you know mega brewing uh, companies. What caught my attention was the message that it sends to, to beer drinkers, like media holdings, if you will. All of these kind of niche and boutique efforts are being folded up under you know mega corporations. So what effect will that have on beer drinkers? What effect will it have on the little guys? Will brewers want to start and continue to um, expand the craft brewery market? Um, and what effect will it have on the beer market in general? So um, you know, lots of uh, lots of questions, but I, I thought it was worth noting as this is a pretty well-known brand um, being swept up. They were not only a well-known brand when it comes to the quality of the product, but also the uh, the support and the mentoring that they provided to um, to other little guys and gals in the craft brew market. That's what caught my attention. Okay. You have to wonder where the uh, 
where Bernie Sanders was on, on that whole thing as he rails against big corporations and corporate conglomerates and greed, you know, talking about those trade wins in the, in the craft brewery business. It's the same thing I've talked about a bunch uh, with regard to medicinal marijuana and cannabis and that you have all of these very small boutique uh, areas here at the very nascent stages of the legalization um, and almost you know, full recreational use allowance in a lot of states. Um, you know, you've got very small uh, boutique neighborhood dispensaries who are in it for the health, uh, in it for the advancement, in it for the advocacy of what they believe. And, and basically everyone out there knows that once this gets closer and closer to being fully wrecked, that it's just the big pharmaceutical companies who currently kind of manage the opioid epidemic that'll just come in and buy up all the small dispensaries and it'll be corporate conglomerates. It's very similar also to what we talk about with media training, that gone right. is the local neighborhood paper and that it's all owned by, you know, Rupert Murdoch, big conglomerate uh, greed. So yeah, it's certainly, it, as you raise it, it's certainly a disconcerting trend. All right. Hey, uh, John, how about you? What do you see in your rear view? Uh, I probably see a lot better in my rear view than Mason Rudolph does. And uh, I, I bring that up because I was very taken aback by the, the much ballyhooed event uh, in Cleveland uh, as the Steelers took on the Cleveland Browns. And at the end of the game, as Cleveland was closing out the game, Miles Garrett tackles Mason Rudolph, the, the Steelers' very you know, vanilla uh, backup quarterback. Um, one thing leads to another, as it always does on the football field. And mm -hmm. uh, all of a sudden, Miles Garrett not only rips off Mason Rudolph's helmet, which is dangerous enough, uh, but then in, in that Rubicon-like scenario, something that no one has ever thought they'd see. Um, and, and I think all three of us played football to some degree as, as kids. I, I just never thought I'd see what I saw from Miles Garrett, which is taking a helmet and swinging it at a defenseless player in their head. Mason Rudolph is incredibly lucky that the bottom side of the helmet where the padding was struck him. What I was struck by um, was the, the violence of the play, how lucky he was that if the top of the helmet would have struck Mason Rudolph, that kid could be dead. And, and that's not just me being hyperbolic. That, that, that is insane. And, and I haven't really heard a lot of uh, talk of what legal action might, might befell uh, Miles Garrett on that whole thing. But then the second thing I thought of is we got to the next morning and no suspension had been, had been levied and, and you know, everyone was talking about it. I started thinking, would it have been different if he struck Russell Wilson like that, or if he struck Tom Brady, or Lamar Jackson, uh, or Ben Roethlisberger, like the other bigger names and faces of the NFL corporate greed, uh, if we're gonna stay on that theme. Um, I wonder how much different it would have been if one of those star quarterbacks was hit in the face or the head with a helmet instead of just some scrub backed up. What do you guys think? John, let me step in right there. And uh, the first thing that comes to mind of the names you mentioned, whether it's Tom Brady, whether it's Russell Wilson, uh, whether it's Lamar Jackson, you know what those three would not have done upon being tackled? They would not have tried to rip the helmet off of Miles Garrett. So let's start right there. And I'm not excusing Miles Garrett for the action that he chose, the violent action that he chose. Let's, let's look at Mason Rudolph upon being taken to the ground on a legitimate tackle and him trying to rip the helmet off of Miles Garrett's head. So 
the quarterbacks that you mentioned would not have uh, would not have taken to that action. The air came out of the balloon pretty quick. It, it hasn't really been talked about a lot uh, after the first three days and after Miles Garrett submitted his his appeal. Um, you know, I just predict that. Say Tom Brady did have that moment of madness that Mason Rudolph did and tried to twist Miles Garrett's helmet, and he hits Tom Brady in the in the head uh, with with a swung helmet, and maybe actually gets him with the harder side of the helmet. Um, I, I think you probably would have seen the NFL protecting their brand, protecting their their favorite sons, uh, would have come right out and banned him for life. He still could be banned for life, but right now it's just indefinite uh, until. Yeah, they they deem that the PR storm has passed, and they can let him. Then they can let him play again. I guess. Yeah, that that's the question that I think the NFL needs to uh, really come to grips with is um, from a brand standpoint. Was this a escalating instance of you, you know tempers and um, passion that that ended in a a over the top unfortunate incident? Or was it a malicious act that has changed the game forever, and that you know you have to uh, you have to send a clear message again? I think that's the question. It's a tough issue to arbitrate because, as you guys both said, it's not just about what occurred there um, in that game. It's how does it affect and how does it connect with all of the other issues that the NFL is working through right now? Yeah, they, they've brought up a lot as they've tried to weigh this severity of Miles Garrett's action. Uh, let's talk about Kareem Hunt kicking a woman in a, in a hotel hallway. Uh, let's talk about what Tyreek Hill did. Uh, let's talk about all the BS that Ben Roethlisberger did as a human being uh, prior to, you know, really the last five years since he's cleaned it up. Yeah, my example is this. Is there a whole lot of difference between what Miles Garrett did to Mason Rudolph um, with a helmet and what Ray Rice uh, did to his now wife in, in a hotel elevator uh, with his fist. Now, I know that one took place in an elevator and one took place on the, on the fields of friendly strife on the football field, but I'm telling you, it, Ray Rice got basically banned for life. He never played another down in football. Um, don't know if that's right or that's wrong, and I'm, I'm not remotely okay with with the violence against women that Ray Rice showed. Uh, but in this particular case, you have violent acts. Where's you know where's the consistency and punishment? I don't know if they if they have a rubric that they use. John, let me tell you something, and we've talked about it on this podcast multiple times. And I'm sorry, I'm I'm about to go there, but I got to make this point. I figured you would. I, I can teed it up. You talk about the difference between what happened in that elevator with Ray Rice and his wife and what we saw uh, on the field um, is timing. Timing. Do you understand that we had a mass shooting at a high school in, uh, in the suburbs of Los Angeles just last week? But since then, we've had a shooting at a football game in New Jersey. We've also had a backyard shooting. Uh, I believe in California at a family event where multiple people died. And let me tell you, it's nowhere near the news. So fatigue has caught up with us. The relentless nature of things has caught up with us. And some things just don't make news anymore. And we're able to just sort of blow past it and not give it the same reverence. 
And let me tell you, my friend, that is a sad, sad state of affairs for where we are. And we can sort of roll our eyes and throw our hands up. But let me tell you, man, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. Not, not remotely. It's really up to the NFL at this point, right? Do they want to take the opportunity that the crowded news environment um, gives them and not make this on the same par as the Ray Rice or some of the other covered it, events? Greg, Greg Hardy is, you know. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and so it will ultimately be up to them. Um, because you're right. I mean, I think that the pundits have kind of left it to his injury. I mean, there's all sorts of other things going on in the NFL to say nothing of the country and the world. Mm -hmm. And so it will be up to the NFL if they say, hey, no, this sort of aggression uh, is the same that we saw with Ray Rice. It's the same that we saw with others. And we want to stomp this out of our game. That's kind of one path. The other would be hey, you know, guys lost their cool and we're going to take care of it and, and move along. And that would be kind of hiding under the media environment. That's the other path. We'll see which way they go. Definitely. Uh, gentlemen, continuing on uh, here in, in rear view, and I know we're going long, folks, but stick with us. I just want to bring up something uh, that, that, that I saw here uh, that actually happened here in the last 48 hours. Um, and that is the topic of Charles Barkley inside the NBA host, co-host, former uh, NBA, um, NBA player and Hall of Famer, uh, alongside with uh, Axios reporter Alexi McCammond. In the last 48 hours, we, we essentially saw a textbook version of how the power of social media, uh, or in this case, Twitter, can overwhelm you in a matter of minutes. Axios reporter Alexi McCammond responding to an incident with Charles Barkley in a bar I guess she was questioning him or, or Charles was making a statement about who he supported here uh, in the Democratic field. Charles Barkley reportedly uh, said, quote, I don't hit women, but if I did, I would hit you. And then once she objected to that comment, uh, he then said, quote, she couldn't take a joke. Charles Barkley, through Turner Sports, uh, has since apologized to Ms. McCammon, saying that, quote, his comment was inappropriate and unacceptable. It was an attempted joke that wasn't funny at all. There's no excuse for it, uh, and I apologize. Uh, there were some further comments uh, by Alexi McCammon on her, um, on her Twitter feed, where she responded uh, to those comments and the apology. But, but... The reason I bring this up is because within a matter of um, whether it's minutes, hours, or whatever, the Twitterverse decided to dig through Miss McCammon's Twitter feed and pull up some rather um, inappropriate slash racist tweets that she had written about the Asian community. And what you saw, the reason I bring this up, what you saw was the what uh, what they say the Twitter clapback, uh, the uh, response to when uh, someone says something, and then you know people in glass houses should not throw stones, because it seems that Miss McCammon had made not one, not two, but uh, several tweets uh, referring to Asians in a derogatory fashion, and people dug that up. From and I mean from years back, looks like uh, you know over over three four years ago on her timeline of her making these um, these unfortunate comments um, and then putting it front and center. So whereas you had Alexi McCammon, Axios reporter, trying to I guess I, I, I guess draw attention to the fact that what Charles Barkley was saying was not appropriate, 
but in attempting to do so gets called on the carpet for derogatory comments she has made to another community. And because it's 2019 and because this is how Twitter works, she went on Twitter last night to, uh, to talk about this was something uh, from her past. Uh, they don't represent who she is right now. And she apologizes for, for those sentiments. However, here's what happens. Here you have a noted reporter and all of a sudden more attention gets drawn to those comments and how she attempted to correct Charles Barkley, but having this in her past and takes away from that whole, uh, whatever she was trying to do in terms of violence against women, maybe not completely, but you know, in a, an appropriate amount of attention is drawn away. And gentlemen, just goes back to what we talk about over and over and over again about how we use social media, uh, how social media has taken over or, or just moves faster and moves in a way that maybe some of us are not prepared for, uh, whether it's on the personal side of things or in your professional lives. Wondered if you had any comments about it, if you were watching it at all, um, and where you think uh, this reporter may have, may have taken a wrong step. Um, we, we, we are of a certain age where we, listen, we went through the whole, can you imagine, can you imagine if there was Twitter back when Charles Barkley said, I am not a role model. I mean, Charles Barkley, <laughs> Charles Barkley was throwing people through windows for Christ's sake. Um, yeah. so just, just a comment I wanted to make and just, and just close look at how social media, if not done, not, not orchestrated uh, in the way you think it will, um, can, can really turn around and backfire on you uh, in terms of the message that you're trying to put out there. As it should, but I think that this also shows another disturbing trend, which uh, people criticize Donald Trump and the Trump administration a lot for. It's that whataboutism. You know, you're not, you're not defending or discussing issue number one to defend issue number one or to provide commentary on issue number one, you say, well, what about this? Um, and one has nothing to do with the other. Her comments on the Asian community five, six, 10 years back, that has nothing to do with what happened between her and Charles Barkley in that conversation. But it's what people do to defend behavior now and what the Trump administration has been off criticized for is that they ignore the accusation or they ignore the evidence or they ignore the, the wrongdoing. And they say, don't look at that. But what about this over here? Look, Hunter Biden fathered a baby out of wedlock. Or it, it's just, it's what we do as a society now. Instead of, instead of really dealing with the issue, um, you, you say, well, what about this as some means of piss poor defense? Uh, that, that's how I kind of viewed it. Um, in the end, is Charles Barkley all that different than Don Cherry? To talk about our, our conversation from the last pod, you know, the, their comments outside of their swim lane, inappropriate toward a group of immigrants in Don Cherry's case, completely inappropriate with regard to, to violence against women from Charles Barkley. One guy's one guy lost his job. Is Charles going to lose his? I don't know. So those are the two lenses I viewed it through. I'll take a little bit of a different tact. I think you are who you are at this point in uh, 2019, right? I mean, there's no hiding who you are. It's, it's something that I am very conscious of. Um, if I tweet something about the Navy, if I tweet something about personal behavior, mm -hmm. um, I very much recognize that... Uh, 
things that have been said about me or written about me, um, yes, are fair game. I have to couch my discussion of topics in that um, in that context because right. nothing goes away. So that's point one. Point two is, is that there are no jokes anymore, right? I mean, there, there are, and, and what I mean by that is, is like you don't get to say something um, offensive or or mean spirited and then hide behind the, hey, I was just joking or he or she took it out of context. Things move too quickly for that defense uh, to be um, effective. If you're Charles Barkley one and you have a, um, an interaction with a reporter or with anybody and it goes south, know that it's gonna end up in the digital space and know that lots and lots of people are going to um, opine on it and make it last longer than you probably thought it would. If you're Alexi McCannon or uh, you're Chris Cervello or you're anybody, know that you uh, you are who you are and that your your past stays with you, and you've got to be you've got to be able to um, to deal with that. So either A, you got to make sure that you don't make mistakes, uh, or B, you you've got to just be able to deal with it because apologizing later for something that you did and just saying, oh, it was a long time ago or, oh, I'm a different person now. I don't think that gets you off the hook. Again, you are who you are. Well said. Well said. I appreciate that, Chris, very much. Um, listen, I know we got long-winded here in, in Rearview and folks, we thank you for sticking with us. We got a lot more, uh, a lot more show for you. You're listening to Three Season A Pod. Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. We're back, and it's time to deep dive. Well, America, here we are. It's extremely difficult to move about in this culture of public relations and communications, uh, without acknowledging the fact that we have an impeachment inquiry going on in our country. Uh, it's across every channel and radio station with the exception of HGTV uh, in Disney, it seems. Now, whether you're tuned in or tuned out, the question remains, how did we get here? How do we navigate it? And what will we have in America at the end of it all? And as we attempt to keep our sanity here on Three Season a Pod, we want to try and answer these questions. So, gentlemen, I throw it to the floor. Chris, first to you. What does this impeachment inquiry or impeachment in general mean to you? It's a communication exercise uh, for both the Democrats and the Republicans. I think it's less about um, high crimes and misdemeanors and digging towards the truth, and it's more about reaching an audience. Um, we talked about this last season. We mentioned it a little bit this season. Democrats and the Republicans uh, know the outcome of this already. Uh, the president will be in, uh, in the House. He will be impeached. Uh, it will go to the Senate. Um, the Democrats will fall short of the 67 votes needed to remove the president. And then this will be a essentially an election issue that will be uh, or metered out in 2020. Yes. And so I... I view this through that lens, right? How does the case that uh, Adam Schiff and the Democrats, um, how does that case reach the, I mean, we're really talking about probably five or 6% of the electorate that is, uh, is able to be swayed one, one way or the other. It may even be smaller than that at this point. 
how does how they present information, how they present the president, what, you know, what light they present the president in, how, how does that reach that five to six percent? And then on the other side, how does the president respond to the information that's uh, that's put out there? How, how does he continue to lead, um, continue to act as president and respond to the allegations? Uh, and what effect does that have on that same five or six percent? Any other way of looking at it, I mean, I think is interesting, but probably not relevant in the larger question of whether or not Donald J. Trump will continue to be president of the United States. All right. Uh, John, how about you? What I'm pretty interested in is the is the way that the Trump administration continues to offer counter narratives uh, within the impeachment hearings uh, leading up to the impeachment hearings and now that the impeachment hearings are happening. It, the Trump did a very good job, whether he meant to or not, he did a very good job of prepping his his base of followers, his sycophants, his fans uh, to, to get on board with his style of whataboutism, as I referenced before, but also his style of, of basically just uh, offering a complete entrenched counter narrative um and and singing it as loud as they can with as much confidence as they can mm -hmm. and expecting their base to believe it and and that's what's interesting to me gordon sondland i barely knew him oh did i say in the past that i knew him and appointed him as the ambassador to the eu y yeah but no i i barely knew him that's the mm -hmm. truth right um Giuliani does it, Pompeo does it, Mick Mulvaney does it, his press people do it. Um, it's just a, it's just a really, it's a really interesting dynamic for me that's frustrating. Um, yes, I, 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 I've made my, I've made my views very clear on, on Mr. Trump and his, and his, and his gang of, of peeps, but the, the way that they can counter narrative and, and just shout back in the face of amazing evidence is wild to me and and as i looked back and researched it um with you know previous examples of this the last one being the clinton impeachment you know you at least had a little bit of bipartisan understanding of this there were democrats who were like yeah this lewinsky thing no good and we have to draw a line in the sand it's that culture of counter narrative that the trump administration has offered it's then coupled with the fact that there is no Republican understanding or very little, maybe like Justin Amash or or a couple of others. I know the senator from from Nebraska kind of came out in the face of this, but not nearly as much. And that, unfortunately, I'll say it through gritted teeth. It's a credit to Trump and his and his PR people on just sticking with what they know, and that is launching a very loud and confident counter. Bash, before you go, because I want to sure. ask you a question and, yeah, please. and have you uh, address it in your comments. Okay. Um, if the if the hearings continue the way they've gone thus far, right? I mean, uh, without either side making a major change, who benefits um, if the goal is to uh, influence that you know five to ten percent of um, of swing voters? who benefits from the these hearings uh it, you know in the 2020 world chris uh some time ago you and i had this conversation about uh, we we looked at percentages uh you were you were um informing me about 
uh, the electorate. Uh, one of the things I don't know if people actually pay attention to, whether it's Fox, MSNBC, CNN, uh, NPR, what have you, when they talk about these polls that talk about among likely voters, J just that, 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 that phrase right there, among likely voters. Um, and I, I have long sat with that discussion that you and I had about these likely voters and, and what moves likely voters, what gets someone to, uh, to get up uh, on, that, on that infamous Tuesday in November um, and, and vote, or whether they, you know, whether they vote early, absentee, or what have you, but just what moves people uh, to get up and cast the vote as is their right uh, here in this nation. Um, you, you know, your question, who, who, who benefits? Um, I, I struggle with this. I, I, I struggle with, with sort of where we are looking at these impeachment hearings. Um, I have deliberately tried to uh, not watch, not, not, not turn the television on. Um, Am I am I looking at Twitter? Yes, I am. Um, do do I turn on an hour's worth of television in the evening uh, for a particular program, a news program? Yes, I do. Um, but I, I just can't. I can't devote time to sit and watch it uh, throughout the day uh, to look at pundits say, you know, voice their interpretations on on whatever uh, was quote unquote uh, pizzazz worthy or was a zinger or what have you. Um, you said something to me not long ago about um, when we talk about this great experiment that is America, uh, what our forefounder, forefounders, excuse me, uh, what our, our forefathers, um, what, what, what they saw, what, what their vision was uh, for, this, for this country. Uh, for this nation that they were building. And, and your comment was that there's a good number of people that really don't care about, about that. Don't, um, that, that doesn't weigh in to what is important to them, putting food on the table or going about their daily, um, their daily walk um, and what is a priority. So to get back to the question you asked, what concerns me is that <laughs> this doesn't benefit anyone. It, it, it hurts us all. Where we have arrived in our national discourse is that facts, facts don't matter. Um, someone uh, trying to dismantle or disrupt our election cycle doesn't, does it, well, it, it doesn't really matter. And if, if you draw things along partisan lines and something benefits the camp that you're in, you're, you're likely to sit there and say, okay, um, I'm all right with that because it, it, uh, it helps my agenda. It, 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 it goes with what my side is, is talking about. And we have this absence of people willing to step up and say, Hold on a second. That's wrong. That that's that's wrong for for the American ideal. It's wrong for what we've stood for and what we want our future to be. Um, and that's just it. It just it it hurts is what it really does, um, because we are not perfect. 
but we strived, strive hopefully for a more perfect union. And if we've said to hell with that, if that's, if that's a notion that we've long or to this point disregarded, then I, I, I'm in a place where I, I struggle with um, what we what we do to move collectively forward. Um, and I, I apologize that that's a lot that I just put out there. Um, I, I just that John, the narrative that you talked about in terms of, you know, um, it's, it's almost like if you remember back in high school, I had uh, in my high school, I had to read Taming of the Shrew. And there's a, uh, a particular uh, segment of the book where um, this gentleman was, was trying to say that the, the sky is in fact not blue, that it is another color. Um, and if, if this is the way we're addressing facts now, um, that just looking at the, the testimony from one day to the next means one thing to one side and a completely, completely other thing to another, um, I don't know where we're, I don't know how we move forward. I don't. I, 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 yeah. I truly believe every communication instinct in my body tells me that the longer this, um, and, and I, I take issue with nothing that you just said, but the longer that this goes on, the more it benefits the Republicans. Uh, yeah. And again, look, looking solely through a communication lens, I think there was fatigue when it came to switching intellectual gears from a, a day or a week of impeachment hearings to now tuning in to a crowded group of very imperfect candidates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think their message gets lost. And I think at the end of the day, the calculus becomes, yeah, this guy's a knucklehead. Um, and that's probably the understatement of the century, but I mean, you, you know, yeah, he's despicable or, you, you know, whatever descriptor people would, would lay on him. But I mean, either my life is okay and I want to continue it and I don't want to take a risk or what is the other choice out there? And I think as long as the focus is on Donald Trump and his imperfection and all the mistakes he's made, I think it's harder to uh, really flush out what the value of that other choice is. And I think eventually that's going to become problematic. Well, you saw it in the debate. You know, now this is the third or fourth debate. They, they've whittled it down to 10 people. And, and they all talk about Donald Trump like it's Voldemort, you know, and, and, and they have made him this figure in their discourse as they are working very hard to to win the nomination for the Democratic Party, to unseat Donald Trump, to undo the things that they think are so reprehensible. The way they talk about him, particularly in the discourse of a two hour and 15 minutes debate last night, um, you know, it, it almost gives him this, you know, it, it, it's almost like idolatry, you know, it, he's been built up to this superhuman status of how did this happen? How did he pull the wool over America's eyes? How is he still possibly in power despite all of this stuff? And I, I think that it just adds to the lore of, of what Donald Trump is and why he can continue to operate. So, you know, as we talk about 
the impeachment hearings, I think, you know, we were talking before we came on that, that part and parcel with this is, is the, you know, the communications and the messaging and the narrative being offered uh, throughout the Democratic primaries, uh, particularly being made more interesting now is they thought they were actually getting less people. And now Duval Patrick is in, and Mike Bloomberg is in. And who, who else, you know, who knows if Hillary Clinton, you know, what, what she's thinking about coming in, but that they have to work on their messaging too, because you know, what they're doing is not doing anything right now to lessen Donald Trump's stature. Uh, stay with us, folks. We're going to come right back with what's next on the horizon. You're listening to Three Season a Pod. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. Welcome back to Three Season a Pod with Provision Advisors. Gentlemen, let's look out on the horizon and what the days ahead may bring. Chris, I'm going to throw it to you. What I'm going to pay uh, close attention to is uh, the back and forth between the Navy and the president on Navy SEAL operator Gallagher, one of the three individuals that President Trump uh, pardoned uh, over last weekend. There has been throughout this entire uh, case, um, the the White House um, has made their interest and their presence um, well known to the Navy, to the Gallaghers, and to the American public. Mm-hmm. And um, it, I think, came to a real head when the president seemingly told the Navy again, enough's enough, and um, put the Navy in a very unusual position. Right. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see if this uh, gets worse. Um, if it costs the Secretary of the Navy and the Chief of Naval Operations either um, their ability to command um, or if they feel the need to resign. So um, I, I think this, is, this will play out for days or weeks to come. So that's what I'm going to be watching. I think, uh, Chris, to your points there, uh, and we've talked about this before on this podcast, uh, the fact that we have a, a reinvigorated uh, Chief of Information uh, who is taken to social media and and making comments uh, across the landscape uh, about what the Navy is doing globally? Um, it will, and we saw some of this this week. Um, I am keeping my eyes focused on the uh, on the continued communication um, to an American public uh, about the Navy, uh, the Navy writ large, uh, and how the Navy uh, is dealing with this particular subject. Uh, so I know that's something that that each of us uh, will be keeping a keen eye on. Uh, John, over to you. Uh, yeah, I'll, before I jump on mine, I'll just say it, it puts everything in a very awkward position. Um, just like we were talking about in the deep dive, uh, this, this commander in chief uh, using his role to sort of stand in opposition to uh, what the services want. Um, I'm interested how the services will respond, um, what it will do as part of this relationship with with the people above them uh, administratively in the chain of command. How will it affect communication, uh, not only from Shinfo, but from the rest of DOD uh, when it comes to issues that they might fear the, um, that they might fear the president uh, will weigh in on. So we'll see. Um, On that note, uh, related, is uh, my on the horizon is Noah Song. 
Uh, we've been talking about this since April. Uh, the young man from the Naval Academy who was drafted by the Red Sox in the fourth round. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm very interested to see uh, how quickly we get to the finish line uh, of his request uh, to play baseball full time. Um, he just came back from pitching with Team USA in the Olympic qualifiers, and the uh, and the returns, you know, from former Yankee third baseman and now Team USA manager Scott Brochos. Uh, the uh, pitching coach for Team USA, Brian Price, who used to be the Cincinnati Reds pitching coach and manager, mm -hmm. uh, all saying that Noah Song was just about as dominant, if not more dominant, than his stats indicated. And his stats were almost flawless. Uh, pitching against Olympic-level competition, other major leaguers, and, and high AAA prospects uh, from many countries, Chinese Taipei, Puerto Rico, Cuba, uh, Mexico. So, you know, now where we're at with Noah Song is uh, the new DOD policy has been promulgated, has been put out. Uh, the president asked for it back in June. DOD produced it earlier this month. And it doesn't necessarily fold Noah Song in there, uh, but it allows him a very small window to ask for an exception from the Secretary of Defense in order to play baseball full time uh, and defer his active duty service. Uh, Secretary of Defense Esper allowed Army Second Lieutenant Brett Toth back in August to have that exception. Um, I really hope that they do the same thing with Noah Song uh, because n not only is this a good kid, this is a kid who I would not be surprised at all to be pitching for the Boston Red Sox with the big club uh, by next fall. And, and I think that if the Navy handles this right, if they do it right, will be a really good PR story. Because as you and I, as, as we were just talking about, not a lot of good PR stories for the Navy in the last month. We're going to keep our eye on it, John. Thank you very much. Uh, folks, we're going to wrap up um, on this On the Horizon segment. Uh, as I look at Stephen A. Smith of, uh, of ESPN, last week we uh, spoke about Colin Kaepernick and at that point um, the forthcoming workout that he was going to have uh, with the NFL. Uh, and then obviously Stephen A. Smith making a, uh, um, making a video uh, and commenting about uh, what he thought was Colin Kaepernick not wanting to act to play uh, in the NFL. And this this conversation is it's completely blown up, uh, and I'm and I'm sure we'll continue uh, here in our uh, in our sports discourse. But on this one, Stephen A. Smith really didn't do his homework. What can happen here is that you can get someone, a, a talking head like Stephen A. Smith, who wants to get their opinion out there, feels that they have the right information, in 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 their um, strive to to get something out there first and, and, and be at the forefront. They do so without, the, out, without all the facts. But Stephen A. Smith got it wrong. Colin Kaepernick, what he did was in the best interest, uh, as far as the workout, was for his best interest with the NFL. I, I know we follow, or a couple of us might, might follow, uh, Mr. Bryant, a uh, full dissident um, on, on Twitter. I recommend that you give this gentleman a look. Uh, because he broke it down in terms of the the right and the wrong uh, of the waiver, the uh, the waiver that they, the NFL uh, had asked Colin Kaepernick to sign, which he ultimately did not sign, and that's why things moved the way they did. But Stephen A. Smith, if you're going to jump out there and 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 give your opinion, I would hope that you do so with all the facts in mind, and not wait for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday after the fact 
to try and hash it out on your network. Gentlemen, does anyone want to chime in? It's what Stephen A. was and is. And, and I've said it before on this podcast, and I say it all the time, and I don't even know if I'm right. I think I'm right. But Stephen A. was the very beginning of, of this type of shout-you-down narrative that, that exists in culture today. It's what the Trump administration uses. That Stephen A., and, and it, you know, you had it a little bit on CNN back in the day when they do crossfire, and you'd have a Republican shouting at a Democrat. And, you know, the rumor was they'd sit there and they'd hash it out and scream at each other on crossfire, and then they were the best of friends and would go out and get bourbon afterwards. But Stephen A. was really, you know, the beginning, and, and Skip Bayless is kind of his, his counterpart in this, of just screaming out hot takes and, and making sure they're as opinionated and provocative as possible. And they do it without all the facts yet. Um, and that's what reporting is now. It, it's run and file your story and, and wait for the facts and hope for the facts to validate it afterwards instead of the other way around. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining us here on Three Seas in a Pod. Listen, next week is Thanksgiving. And no matter where you're listening, we want to take some time to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Uh, we hope that your table is bountiful, that it is blessed, that you take some time to give thanks for what you've experienced this year and think about those who may not have been in receipt uh, of, of those blessings and, and, and hope, just hope uh, that they can find uh, some goodness out of this holiday. Uh, and where you can, we give thanks to those who sacrifice their time, go out to food kitchens and volunteer uh, their time, their day, uh, to feed those who are homeless or in need of a warm meal. For us here at Provision Advisors and Three Season a Pod, we want to say happy Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll be taking the next week off. Please join us in, uh, when we return to the airwaves. In the meantime, please, yes, uh, spend time with your families, uh, hug one another, uh, and join hands around the table as we wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, and until we meet again, as we say here on the show, be good, be safe, and be better than yesterday. Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.